you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. Listen to A Really Good Cry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of NFL Films Tales from the Vault. I'm your host, Andrea Kramer. When I started my career as a producer at NFL Films in 1984, my boss and mentor was Steve Sable, the heart and soul of NFL Films. Steve wasn't just a creative genius, he was a brilliant conversationalist. And this podcast showcases some of the greatest interviews Steve ever did none of which have ever been heard before in their entirety. The coolest part about this show is that it's like a time capsule, and I get to guide you back in time. Today, we head to the vault for Steve's interview with Dan Marino from 2000. Dan Marino has long been considered the best quarterback never to win a Super Bowl, and the stats bear that out. But you could argue, and many people do, and Steve even mentions it in this interview, that he's the best pure passer of all time. Yes, of course, Brady has all the rings and now all of Dan's records. But when Marino came into the league in that vaunted quarterback class of 1983, he took quarterbacking to another level. In his second season, he threw 48 touchdown passes. The record at the time, 36, held by Y.A. Tittle and George Blanda. I mean, he didn't just break records, he shattered them. So a quick little personal aside here. I've only played fantasy football one time in my life. It was 1984, and my partner was our NFL Films editor-in-chief, Bob Ryan. I drew the ace of spades for the first pick in the draft, and I took Dan Marino. That's the year he threw for 5,084 yards and 48 touchdowns. So thanks, Danny, for letting me retire as a fantasy football champion and providing a little extra money around the holidays. Now back to Marino on the field. He played 17 seasons with the Dolphins, and in March of 2000, he retired with the most passing yards and most touchdown passes of all time. In June of that year, Steve Sable went to visit Marino in his Miami home. And yes, please be patient with the planes and the birds and the wind. This is, yes, another outdoor interview. Just three months removed from his retirement announcement, Marino and Steve talked about some of the finer points of quarterbacking, some of Dan's favorite teammates, like the Marx Brothers, Duper and Clayton, and of course, Dan's childhood in the Berg, the South Oakland neighborhood in Pittsburgh, and yes, as you'll hear, he never lost that Iron City twang. But Steve, always liking to stir the pot a little bit, gets this interview off 
on an interesting foot, uh, so to speak. I'm sorry, Dan. So this will be one of the most erratic interviews that you've ever done. Okay. Because I have no, no, I no problem. I'm not a professional no at this. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, an interested fan, so it isn't. It won't follow any structure. So, okay, all set. Yep. First question: Could you name three teammates, past and present, that you could beat in a foot race? <laughs> oh yeah, Bernie Kozar, that's for sure. Yeah, I can beat Bernie. Uh, not now, but but uh, past and present. That's that's the one guy that comes to mind. You have to be a great athlete to play quarterback. Sure, you do. Really? You have to have great feet. Now, you're you're saying that maybe I can't beat someone in a foot race, but you know, as far as quickness and and, and making people miss in the pocket and moving and creating things on your own, you ha you have to do that. And to do that, you have to be a good athlete. Bill Walsh once told me we were doing an interview and we were talking about quarterbacks, and he said the most important thing in a quarterback is his footwork. Yeah. Why is that? Well, so uh, you maintain your balance when you, to, to make a good throw, uh, to make people miss and stay with inside the pocket within yourself so you can make a good throw. For example, if Bruce Smith's coming and, 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 I, and I happen to get out of his way, yeah. I can still get my, my feet together and my body together to make a throw. Mm -hmm. well, my dad always told me when I was younger to jump rope. And, you know, I always jumped rope when I was younger and did it all through the pros. And it was something mm -hmm. I thought that helped me a lot you know, as far as having quick feet and being able to move in the pocket. When you were little, did you have any kind of practice that you would do? Did you ever throw at anything when you were a kid? Well, I used to throw at everything. Just whatever was moving, uh, the city bus that came by our house, front of our house, uh, every 25 minutes. Yeah. So would you just sit there waiting in the corner? Yeah, yeah. just throw at the bus. Sure. Would you throw a football? Football. Yeah. yeah. Did the guy ever stop and get out and yell at you for that? Uh, yeah, sometimes. They well, first of all, did you hit the bus? Yeah, I'm, I'm good enough to hit the bus. <laughs> so I did that, I mean that, and just, we played a lot of games, uh, pickup games just right in the street, you know, and uh, you'd have to play in between the cars, and you know, there's a lot of, there's traffic. But I never had a regimen where, you know, my dad would say, you go out and throw 100 passes uh, through, a, through a tire or, or take so many drops. I mean, I just played the game, and, you know, I think where I grew up was pretty competitive too. There was a lot of street games, and, and, uh, I mean, we go with a snowball. Yeah, so, I could, yeah. I, could, yeah. Yeah. I was a pretty good pitcher baseball too. Really? Yeah. I thought you were a shortstop or something. Well, I played shortstop pitcher, and I, I was drafted by the Kansas City Royals uh, my yeah. senior year of high school to play. They projected me to be a third baseman, but they had a guy named George Brett, so I think it'd be a little tough, you know. <laughs> when so. you came into the NFL, was there one older player that that sort of took you aside and said, "Damn, look, this is what you got to do about this, and you got to do this," or that was somebody that sort of was your mentor in the beginning? Well, when I was drafted here, David Woodley was the starting quarterback and Don Strock was the backup. And uh, I came to camp and Don wasn't in camp. He usually held out of camp. Yeah. So uh, I got to meet him about halfway through camp you know, and asked him you know, if he can help me in any way, I'd, I'd appreciate it. And I think at, at that point, you know, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and helped me a lot. And, and he did, you know, he was there for six years with me. As I, you know, as we first started, and uh, we're still friends today. What did he teach you then? What, what? Can you think of one specific thing that he might have looked at and said, "Dan, you're doing this wrong. This is what you got to yeah. do." He didn't teach me so much how the physical part of the game. What I learned from him was, you know, how how you learn the game mentally, how you work, how you watch films, you know, taking notes. I mean, one thing he always did, he took notes. He made his own game plans, and I think that all came from when. Coach Shula, he was, he was around when Greasy was there too, and they, they used to call their own plays, so they'd have to make their own game plans up. And I think that, that kind of you know, helped me because I looked at his studying techniques and how 
you know, he worked during the week to get a get in a picture in his mind of what he wanted to do on the weekend. Do you consider yourself a student of the game? Yeah, well, I worked, you know, I worked hard at it. I mean, uh, you know, watching a lot of films, extra mm -hmm. films, and uh, I always used to take notes, and, 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 and uh, it was important to me. Did you did you ever make up plays in the huddle? Cole would come in and you say, look, I, I, we're not doing this. There's no doubt. Yeah. Did, I did a lot with uh, Coach Shula. He would give me freedom to do that. When I felt, mm -hmm. felt good about something, I could, you know, I could change the play in the huddle or change it at the line. Or I would tell Duper Clayton, I mean, for example, if, you know, we get a certain coverage, you know, we get a certain coverage, I want you to, you know, we'll take a shot, we'll go deep. And we'd use hand signals, and sometimes they'd just do it. Mm -hmm. So that's what you, you would be, a, a, just some look. It would almost be like you were back on the street playing, look, you go deep here, you cut across. Is that the way it would be in the huddle? Well, what I would always do sometimes in huddle, we had a strong side play where you have flare control and a couple, you know, you know progression strong side, and Duper's on the weak side. And we get a certain coverage, and he's got one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I just go to him. So it's just like playing. It's just yeah. like playing touch. So that was, but in the huddle, it would just be a, it, it would, would be a lot of well, technique. He would know. He would look for a hand signal because he could see what the coverage might be too. Yeah. Toward the end of your career, there's so many times on television there would be a, an incomplete pass and the camera would come to you and you'd just be reaming out somebody. And yeah. Did that ever concern you that, that you know, correcting a, a, a receiver like that in public that you might be embarrassing the guy or did that ever come well, back Actually, it's kind of the other way around. So it happened more when I was younger in my career. Yeah. Later in my career, the TV used to just come right on my face, and it, it would seem that I was upset at a wider so I was more upset at myself for the circumstances or not getting a play in the play calling yeah. or things like that. But I did, you know, when we, younger in my career with Duper and Clayton and some of the other guys, we would get in some shouting matches at times. What would you argue about? Uh, because they didn't run the pattern the way I wanted them to, yeah. or uh, you know, or they didn't make the right adjustment according mm -hmm. to the coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a there's a story one time Duper. I mean, he didn't die for a ball in the end zone. He could have could have caught it for a touchdown. Yeah. And it was a little out in front of him, and I said, "Why didn't you dive?" He says, "Well, you're making all the money. Why didn't you hit me in the chest?" You know, and it just pisses him <laughs> off. Then we started had a little argument, <laughs> and uh, you know, it goes from there. Well, what are, what are ways that a receiver can make a quarterback look bad? Let's see, let's see an average fan is watching the game on television and it's an incompletion and it might be the receiver's fault. What are the things that a receiver could do to make a quarterback? Well, sometimes, you know, if a receiver doesn't, if he doesn't uh, get the normal depth that he needs to get in a, in a pattern, you know, if, if you know, it needs to be 18 yards and around it at 12 yards, it cuts down the area you can throw into. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going across the middle, if you lead them across the middle and sometimes, you know, they, they don't go in there full speed, the defensive back jumps right in front of it. Their, their things coming out of their breaks, you know, when you're running a, you know, an out pattern or a deep comeback, it's important, you know, for them to come downhill out of their breaks. What do you think's your most underrated talent? Everybody talks about the well, the quick release and the yeah. greatest passer. And well, what is there something that you're really proud of that you don't read a lot, or that some some so that you, that, an underrated skill that you well, have? Well, I would. Well, there's there's a skill and there's another thing that I could talk to you about. I think the underrated underrated skill that that, that I always had is people thought that I wasn't fast or quick and I, I've always been so quick. you're still upset about the first question yes I am. That me off. well you know after an Achilles operation is six knee operations uh, I was a bone, a bad a bone in my ankle okay. you know it's, it's hard to beat anybody in a race now but at, at one time I actually could run a little bit but uh, I think my movement my movement in the pocket and uh, I've always thought that I was very good at that and being able to create within a small space make people miss and still be able to get off a good throw and make plays. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean 
like John Elway. John could make people miss and run for 15 yards, which I do that occasionally, not very often. But I could do it and get myself in a position to make a play throw in the football. And I think a lot of times people didn't you know, give me a lot of credit for that. And you said there was something else? Oh, the other thing, though, is just I was proud of, I think, just the consistency factor of, of you know, I went a stretch there one time where I played 145 games in a row, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, this past year, Brett Favre broke that record, but the record was 116, but they didn't count mine because two strike games, oh. you know, and that's, you know, I, I know it's not a big deal, you know, it's not a big deal, but but uh, I, I've always, I was always proud of the fact that I was consistent. My teammates could, you know, rely on me each week to be there as a player. Ah, deep sigh on the audio quality. But hey, look, this plane gives me the opportunity to jump in here. One of the beauties of this podcast, the time capsule form, is that it allows us to look at more current events with a different perspective. So when I heard this upcoming exchange, it harkened back to the 2014 brouhaha over deflated footballs and why the feel, weight, and touch of a football is so personal and important to each quarterback. So keep that in mind as we return to Steve and Dan. This is sort of a strange question. It just occurred to me. They see pitchers in baseball and they're rubbing up the right, ball. Right. Is, is there a feel to a, a football that, that certain games that you could you'd be warming up and you'd feel the ball and you could feel it and you're say, wait a second, this this got too much air in it or it doesn't have Oh, yeah, you yeah. can feel it. Yeah, you can feel it when it's it's not right. But but to pick a ball right out of the box, the way it's made, you can't, it's impossible to throw. I mean, well, it's too slick. slick they have to, it's like a powder on there. Yeah. So you do have to beat it up and use it a little bit. So what would you want to feel on a ball? Just feel real good. Yeah, feel like you can just throw it through a brick wall. That's yeah. that's the important thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you grab the ball and you feel like you can just really throw yeah. it, then it's good. When you hear Dan Marino say, you feel like you could throw it through a brick wall, he might not have been exaggerating. There have been few, if any, quarterbacks to ever throw a pass as hard as he did kind of makes you feel sorry for all those city buses he used to target. When we come back, Dan and Steve talk about some of the best pass rushers Marino ever faced and what it's like to get sacked by them. Stay tuned. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we push against typical societal norms. We embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful, providing a space for raw, unfiltered conversations that celebrate vulnerability and allow you to tune in, to share, connect, and find comfort together. Our tears come as a way to let us release what we can't hold anymore. I trust that no one's ever going to find out those deepest, darkest secrets. It's been a hard day. She walks out, and this is what she looks like. Oh my gosh, give her an Oscar. <laughs> Listen to A Really Good Cry with me, Radhi Devlukia, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. As legendary as Dan Marino's fastball was, 
perhaps even more extraordinary, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word, was his quick release. He was an absolute nightmare to try and sack. He's tied with Peyton Manning for the lowest sack rate of any quarterback in NFL history. As a point of reference, in 1988, Marino threw 606 passes and was sacked six times. Six times! And as we told you earlier, we're not exactly talking about Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson in terms of mobility. But there was one player who tormented Marino and sacked him 15 times in his career, more than any other player. Who's the best pass rusher you ever played against? Um, Bruce Smith, without a doubt. And I've played him so often. I mean, he was just incredible, and especially in Buffalo. I mean, with the crowd noise up there and, and you know, on turf, uh, he just, it's like he turned it up a notch. And uh, he was just an incredible pass rusher. Can, can you yeah. describe what that feels like when you get hit? Because you're you're different than a running back receiver. Right. You're standing still and you're getting getting you're, whacked. You no, know, you have your adrenaline's going, so you don't actually feel the impact until after you try to get up. You know, if you're trying to get up, that's when it's tough. You know, I was hit by uh, Greg Lloyd one time, and and he just just nailed me real good. You know, and the whole wind and everything went right out of me, and I tried to get up and I couldn't, and I wanted to say something to him, I couldn't talk. And what did and you want to I say to him? Back then. <laughs> I don't think we can use it. <laughs> but uh, the impact, yeah, you, you feel it, but you don't, you know, you don't until you try to get up and, 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 and get back in the huddle or get back on your feet. That's when you're you sitting in the huddle. Yeah, you lose your, yeah. lose your air. Or, yeah. Well, now what you say, you wanted to say something to Greg Lloyd. Now, most quarterbacks would get hit like that. Wouldn't want to say anything to piss the guy off. But you were going to say something that was going to... Uh, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I probably... Uh, sh- you know, I, I don't never talk a lot during the game, but you know, if I think a guy sometimes take a sh- takes a shot at you more than he should, mm-hmm. then he should know it. You know, and it didn't happen very often. And I'm not sure that... You know, it was a legal hit that time, too. It's yeah. just, you know, it's just... In the, in, in, the, in the heat of a game, it pisses you off, yeah. you know? Well, when you get hit that hard? Yeah. <laughs> but don't you expect that? Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, you have to expect it. It's part of the game. But, uh, do you think the NFL should do more to protect quarterbacks? I think they're doing a lot right now to protect quarterbacks, and they're doing a good job of it. I mean, it's it's going to be, besides not letting them get hit at all, I don't understand what else they can do. Um, but isn't that part of the, the the mystique of the position that, that, that you have to be, be tough, you have to be able to stand in the, in the, in the you know, well, look you down do. the barrel? I mean, I mean, that's part of... You're actually doing it right now, but I think the speed of the game is changing, whereas guys are hitting with their helmet and they're running 4-4 four, four, and they're coming after full speed and they're, they're twice as big as you are. I mean, there can be some real damage done, you know, so... I think with the, the one step, the step and a half rule, that's a good rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, letting the guy throw the ball away is a good rule, too. Mm-hmm. But I, other than that, I don't think they can do much more. It's interesting to hear Marino just say, and remember this was back in 2000, that he didn't understand what else the league could do to protect quarterbacks. Well, fast forward to 2009, when the roughing the passer rule was expanded to prohibit rushing defenders from hitting quarterbacks below the knee the so-called Tom Brady rule that went into effect after Bernard Pollard ended Brady's season with a torn ACL. Or, remember in 2017, after Anthony Barr hit Aaron Rodgers and broke his collarbone, the league adopted the Aaron Rodgers rule, which prohibits defenders from landing on a passer with their entire body weight. Can you imagine the numbers Marino would put up today with those quarterback protections? But despite his Ironman streak, Marino did have a few significant injuries in his career. 
1993, he suffered a non-contact Achilles injury that ended his consecutive game streak at 145. Over the final six seasons of his career, Marino played all 16 games in only three of them. As his body began to break down, it became tougher and tougher to come back as the same quarterback everyone expected him to be. Was there ever a, ever a time in your career, Dan, where you doubted your, your ability, you're going into a game and you weren't? There are times where I think they're related to injury. For me, there was two times that, that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to play at the level that I wanted to, mm-hmm. to play at when I returned from injury, and that was coming back from my Achilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was, that was a tough and I ended up having a great year. You know, but, but you go through that whole offseason and you're not sure if you're ever going to be able to be like you were before and do the things that you did before. And then this past year, too, when you know, I had the, the, the neck problem and, and the nerve problem, that you know, coming back and I couldn't throw at all. And then coming back, am I going to be able to throw you know, as well as I did before? When you saw films of your, yourself coming back from the, from the Achilles, I and mean, we could see in the films that you were, you were actually limping a lot. I mean, could no, no, you? No, no, I, I was for sure. Yeah. My, my Achilles actually didn't come back the way, you know, the doctors expected it to, the way I expected it to. And, you know, in surgery, it got elongated, and uh, so it didn't take the way it should. So still to this day, I cannot do a toe raise on my right foot. So I played, you know, six years without being able to go up on my toe. And that's when I, that's when I made the brace, and we kind of did some things and worked a boot around to help support that. And, and it helped me, you know, it helped me do some things later on. Did that affect your throwing motion? It, it must did. have. No, no, let me tell you, it did. And that's why I was saying that that was the toughest part is, you know, coming back from that injury and it, and it affected it, but your body has a way of adjusting somehow, you know, and as time went on, you know, my body adjusted to the fact that my Achilles wasn't working the way it needed to work. Talking about your body, you know, the longer you played and you realized, when did you start to realize that you were getting old? <laughs> well, I... After, was there something that was yeah. happening the way, a certain pattern that, that you couldn't throw? or, no, or a certain... throw, I don't, Throwing the ball had never been a problem. It's more, it was more physical, physical with my legs, you know, moving, um, you know, getting in, sometimes getting in a position I needed to get in and I, and I couldn't. And that was over the last couple of years that happened. But it was more like the arm, the arm was never a problem. And at times I couldn't throw it, you know, later in my career, I couldn't throw it as far down the field. Maybe as, as sometimes you need to throw it. But... Uh, and still throw the ball 65 yards down the field, and that's plenty far enough. Uh, you know, you think that's overrated group. for that when you hear now say, well, a guy doesn't have the arm strength, right? You think that's over, not overrated? No, you need arm strength. The distance is overrated. Arm strength is important. You have to have to throw with a velocity and accuracy, or you're never going to have a chance. When people talk about you, they talk about Dan Marino, and it's usually followed by the greatest pure passer in the history of the sport. Okay. Now, Steve Young says that the definition of a pure passer is someone who can't run. Okay. You have any 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 retort? Steve's been hitting the head too many times. <laughs> Could you well, would you go ahead. Yeah, I mean well I guess a guy that can't run, yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. That's the definition of it. I mean I I, I can't run like Steve, but I can run yeah. well enough right. to, to make get out of people's way. <laughs> Would you tolerate it when someone else spoke in the huddle? No. Yeah. No. No. What would happen if someone? Uh, you know, late, uh, uh, tell them to shut up, be quiet, get out. I, I always thought that, you know, when you got in the huddle because of the time, the essence of time, and you needed to, you know, to communicate what you need to communicate, there's crowd noise, everything, so you can't have that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 
to be honest with you, there's not a lot of that happening. You know, it does happen sometimes. And, and, and if you, know, you got to control it. You have to. How did you respond to, to losing? I mean, when you lost, were you like, did you have insomnia? Did you, did you, did you stop eating? Did you eat more? I mean, how did yeah. that affect you? How does it, or is that something you just well, shrug off? You say, well, how long am I going to One thing is for sure. I mean, the, the sleep, you know, I, I couldn't go to sleep because I would sit up and think about everything that I could have done in that game to help us win that I maybe didn't do or, or what I could have did differently. So I'd come home and I'd, you know, I'd, sometimes I'd be up all night thinking about it. So that, that's one thing for sure. Um, and, and then a lot of times it would last almost into the middle of the week, you know, where you, you know, and then, and then if you play the team again, you end up thinking about it, you know, that would, would happen a month later. Um, if, if we could go back into the NFL films library yep. and banish and totally destroy one game, one play, that will never will never show again in your career. Is there one play or one game that you personally would like to come up into the archives and torch it and just say, get it the hell out of there. I don't want everyone to see it again. Well, there's one, maybe the last game we played in Jacksonville, you know, that playoff game. It's like we didn't even have a chance. I mean, it was, you know, it's just, it's like we didn't even show up. But I didn't, you know, I didn't really play a lot in that game. I'm trying to think what else. Um, Anytime, if you have something, you know, when I throw an interception and there's where I'm trying to make a tackle, you need to get rid of that <laughs> because I'm sure there's some ugly shots there. I remember some ugly situations. Yeah. Going back to that last game, did you, was there a point in that game? And actually, when you look at last, that's interesting you brought that up because you look at a lot of great athletes. Ted Williams, the last time he, he hit a home run, the last at bat. Michael Jordan hit the winning basket in the NBA championship. And then when you think back at your last game, what yeah. do you think of? Well, I just try to think of the game before that, right. <laughs> which is we played in Seattle and, yeah. and I took the team on a 95 you know, yard drive to win the game. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just try to put that out of my mind because, you know, it just it happened. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's not as bad if, if it would have been, you know, would have lost by three points, it might have been a lot worse. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we were out of that game in the second quarter. When did you decide to retire? I mean, did you ever think, Dan, that yeah. you know, you, we were, we were, everybody here, you're thinking, we just, we just didn't want to see you play in another. We didn't yeah. want to see like Joe Namath as a Ram, Johnny Unitas as a right. Charger. Did that ever? I end? felt that. Oh yeah, that that entered my mind, and that was that was a factor in my decision because of the relationship here in the community, 17 years playing for the Dolphins, and and all the success I've had. Uh, that was a part of it. Mm-hmm. It was, but I did. Let me tell you, you know, you're a football player first, and, and when someone's interested in you, you know, your instincts are, hey, let's go play. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought about it seriously. Was there something that 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 finally clicked in and said, all right, this is it. I'm not going to play anymore. Well, I kept thinking back to like a couple of days after, you know, after we'd lost, how I felt, you know, how I felt physically, and remembering last year during the season how I felt physically, and you know, did I that I want to go through that all again. And and, uh, and then after a while, your body starts feeling better and, pe- yeah. you know, and some coaches are calling and you, you think you can still do it, which I think I can, but but then, then you keep thinking the health factor goes back. Because last year when I hurt my neck and my nerve and I couldn't throw the ball, I mean, all those things and my legs being sore, that all comes into play and it affects, you know, it affects your thinking. Do you want to keep playing? Why is it so important to play in pain? 
I mean, that, that's one of those credos that you hear in professional football, that the guy, well, he played in pain. He played when so why, why is that so important? Because uh, you don't have to, but you probably wouldn't play very often if you didn't. You know, I mean, if it... So in other words, you're saying the, the people don't realize that most players on the field are in pain. In some... Yeah, there's a, you always have to deal with something. There's always a bruise or your ankle sore or... You have a cracked rib you have to play with, or your arm. I mean, your arms go. You go through all summer camp, and you and you play. You know, you practice all year, and your arm doesn't feel quite as good as you wanted to. Uh, but you know, if everybody played when they're you know tried to play when they're 100% healthy, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to put everybody on the field. It just, just wouldn't happen. When you think of great quarterbacks, you think of what they call defining moments. What do you think is your defining moment? I think. Well, my second year, it's not particularly one game, but it's pretty defining. Mm -hmm. That year we went to the Super Bowl right. and we broke all the records and 48 touchdowns, which is an awful lot of touchdown passes. Mm -hmm. And if it's a defining moment, it'll probably be just that season instead of just mm -hmm. one particular game. When when you sit down to, to do a, an interview like this, is there one question that, that you feel, oh, shit, here it comes. How many times am I going to have to answer the same goddamn question? And, and, and you just know it's coming, and you just, yeah. you know, what, what questions that? Yeah, what's, what's my relationship like with Jimmy Johnson? <laughs> that, that, what, I got to ask that question for the last three years so many times, even by our beat writers, everybody. You know, and after a while, I just, you know, just don't want to deal with it anymore, yeah. you know? So when, when they would ask you that, what would you say? It's great, which it was. It was yeah. fine. I mean, it's... It's it, any coach player relationship, it was fine, you know, but they always were trying to make something out of it. Always trying to make something out of it. Now, when you were in uh, uh, Pitt, what was you were a communications major, right? Sure. You were, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, I heard a story by some reporter here that said that uh, when they first met you and they found out you were a communications <laughs> uh, major and you met them and, and, and you said, he shook his hand. You said, Jesus, it's really nice to meet you. I'm, I'm glad to meet you. I know you're a reporter, but you're not going to get shit from me. <laughs> well, that could be okay. <laughs> no, is, that, is that true? That, that might have happened. Sure. I don't yeah. remember it, but that could have happened. Yeah. Now, why would you, now you said, well, maybe it did it, but you're saying that could have happened. Why would you have said that? I mean, was that, if you were a communications major, you would have thought. Yeah, that. well, there's two ways of looking at it. I mean, as a, as a, as a quarterback in college, uh, sometimes you don't want to say the wrong thing. So you just, you know, you you say the company line, whatever yeah. it is. That's that's why you know, that's why I think I would have said that at the time. Do you think? Can you look back in your career and think you ever did say the wrong thing? Was there ever a time when you're upset and you said something came out and you figured, oh, boy, oh yeah, there's there's times that's happened. I mean, I can't uh, you know, think of anyone in particular, but uh, you know, it's hard after you play a game and you just leave everything on the field and, and you get a guy asking a question it just doesn't really make sense you know it's it's sometimes it's tough to mm -hmm. you know deal with and, and you gotta you gotta find a way to do that we we're talking about plays that that in your career that are memorable what about the, the play against the jets when you you know it was toward the end and you motioned like you were gonna you know throw clock away. play clock yeah play. the clock yeah, play go the through this describe that was that something you would practice was that a, a spontaneous yeah. decision or how well, that first of all kim we had to come back from like 28 down and we didn't and uh we were losing by 28 at halftime, and we end up you know, throwing four touchdowns, all to Mark Ingram in the second half to win the game. But we had practiced that in practice, and it's Bernie Kozar's play from Cleveland, believe it or not. He came over, and uh, when we would run our two-minute drills, he made the suggestion you know, to Coach Shula, we ought to put this play in. And uh, we actually tried it earlier in the year against Minnesota, and luckily no one had seen it on film, I guess. Uh, it didn't work. 
but it was just the perfect situation. Uh, we had a you know field goal to tie. It was second down. You know we had to stop the clock, and and it just seemed like the right time. We're on the six yard line, and uh, and so I just took a shot at it. And what you do if it's not there, then you just throw it out of bounds. Describe what you did again. So. Well, coming up to play, clock, clock, you know, we're going to call timeout. Everybody's, everybody just lining up real slow and I'm clock play, clock play. But So you were, you were yelling that? Yeah, I'm yelling clock play. Yeah, clock play as loud as I can. But Mark Ingram knows over there that he's going to run a pattern. He's going to run a quick out or a quick fade. And, uh, and he knows and I kind of looking at him a little bit and everybody and just took the snap, come back and he takes off. And surprisingly, Aaron Glenn covered him. I mean, which, you know, no one else, everybody else was just standing around and he covered him and he actually, I threw it behind him and he come back and made a great play. Uh, so it just, it just worked perfect. It was the perfect situation. Did, did anybody from the Jets come up to you after that happened and, and say anything to no, you? I think they were in shock. Yeah. The whole, Didn't, all the players, so, so all the players and all the 72,000 fans, it was just quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Marino takes the snap from center. He's looking. He throws. Oh, the Touchdown, Dolphins, Mark Ingram. My goodness, has any one play ever been so associated with one player more than Marino and the clock play against the Jets? Well, this wasn't the first or the last time Marino silenced and saddened Jets fans. And when we come back, the only time Marino cried after a game in his career. You go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish shop now at a store near you Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we push against typical societal norms. We embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful providing a space for raw, unfiltered conversations that celebrate vulnerability and allow you to tune in, to share, connect, and find comfort together. Our tears come as a way to let us release what we can't hold anymore. I trust that no one's ever going to find out those deepest, darkest secrets. It's been a hard day. She walks out, and this is what she looks like. Oh my gosh! Give her an Oscar! <laughs> Listen to A Really Good Cry with me, Radhi Devlukia, on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. Several years ago, I was talking with Marino about how a player knows when it's time to hang up the cleats. And he told me, when the word retire starts to enter your mind while you're playing, it feels like it's the right time. Marino told me he started to think about it after the 99 season. Was he going to do all the little things that always made him so good? So when he actually announced his retirement in March of 2000, it wasn't one of those teary goodbye speeches you often see from one of the game's greats. <laughs> Excuse me, Troy Aikman. Excuse me. Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. Instead, Marino simply said, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss everything about it. My experience interviewing Dan Marino was he was cocky and would not shy away from letting you know how he felt but he wasn't going to show you how he felt. 
Do you ever cry? Do you remember? Oh, uh, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. Mm-hmm. When? Um, I remember after the uh, AFC Championship game we played in Miami. Uh, in, uh, I think it was 90, Buffalo beat us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I really felt real good about our chances that year. You know, you know, and when you see it, you know, slip away, it gets emotional. What What did you? What was you? Were you in the locker room after the game, and that one? A little bit there. Yeah. But you hold it back, you yeah. know. But you know, when I got home that night, just just sitting by myself, you know. Mm-hmm. You didn't want you you, you, see, you didn't want to cry because you didn't want anybody else to see you, or it just mm-hmm. to... yeah, it's part of it, really. You know, so you would have felt embarrassed up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. When you look back on on football, on the whole career, what do you think the game taught you? I mean, what 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 could what did Dan did you learn about yourself from playing football that maybe you never would have learned about yourself if you were never a player? Wow. Um, you know, when you have a passion for something that you love doing, and and I guess it's it's not to take it for granted, you know, not not to take it for granted because it's something that you love doing and you work at it every day, and I, I think I learned that in my life with all the good things that you have that. that you enjoy doing in your family, like football, for example, because a lot of people don't get that chance to do that. But don't take that for granted. What is it about football that, that that appeals to you, that attracted you, and that kept you in the game playing with all the injuries and the pain? Wow, yeah, and you know what it is. It's the it's just the fact that you it's just one game Sunday at one o'clock. It's not like baseball or basketball or anything else where you're playing a number of games. And it's so important, and every play is so important, and, and it's the preparation during the week. And when you, when you, you know, when you work on a play and you think it's going to work in practice, and then when it happens in a game, it just happens perfect, just like you thought it would and how you imagined it. I mean, that's you know, that's what it's all about. What are you going to be doing? 1 p.m. Sunday, September 3rd, this year. Well. Uh, Thought maybe I'll call Duper and Clayton see if they want to come over, have some beers, and we'll throw it around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. At Dan's Hall of Fame induction in 2005, he did exactly that. After delivering his speech, he had Mark Clayton run out for a pass during the ceremony and delivered a strike to his old teammate. Of course, in the end, every quarterback wants one more thing. He wants one more Sunday in front of his fans with a football in his hand, with one last chance to go deep. And I'm going deep, and Clayton, turn around and you go deep right there. Despite his magnificent career, for me, Marino always remains a cautionary tale to all young players. He went to the Super Bowl in his second year, losing to the 49ers, and never made it back again. I always tell the guys who are going to the Super Bowl for the first time, Never take it for granted that you're going back. Marino told me he always wanted to know what it would feel like to walk off the field saying you're a Super Bowl champion. I have one final word on Dan's retirement that you might not know. You know how he told you he retired in March of 2000? Well, it turns out he actually never filed his retirement papers with the NFL until February of 2017. That's when he signed a one-day contract so he could officially retire as a Miami Dolphin. Marino said, the fact that I've been a free agent for 16 years and no one's called is kind of upsetting to me. And no doubt, Marino can still sling it, even to this day. Next week, we bring you part one of a truly remarkable interview by Steve 
1999 with Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrea Kramer. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Calling all men. When was the last time you had a really good cry? A recent survey found that women cry on average five times a month, while men cry on average only once a month. Studies have shown that crying can support your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. I'm Radhi Devlukia, and on my podcast, A Really Good Cry, we embrace the real, the messy, and the beautiful. Listen to A Really Good Cry on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.